Hey everyone, this week we're talking, or we, I always say we, I don't know if I'm just modest, it's really I, <laughs> you're listening, we're listening, I'll be listening later, and I'm talking to a virologist here in the UK, which is pretty awesome considering we've been dealing with a virus for almost a year now. She's also a comedian, I met her as a comedian and quickly found out what she did for a living and was super intrigued by it. So I wanted to talk to her about COVID. Now, she's not a COVID virologist, but just is in that field, which is pretty awesome because someone went from science to comedy, which is just something that I think is really cool. There are all kinds of different people doing creative things that work in different industries and different careers. And some people are happy in their career. She likes her career, but also likes doing comedy. Another thing, though, is we get into a little bit of talk about mental health, specifically pure OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. It's the first time she's shared this in any sort of forum. I, again, I, I just always think that having these discussions about real and serious issues is important. I think sharing our stories is super important. One way that we can heal and one way that we just can live full lives is through connection. I connect through volunteerism, for example. And I connect with friends and I connect even through this podcast. I think for me, this is a form of connection. Other people connect in other ways. My guest sharing her story. First of all, I'm very grateful she decided to do that here with me and with you. But also just my guest sharing her story really... I think the biggest thing is that that's going to form a connection with some people who may have experienced something, or maybe you'll hear about it and go, hey, that's what's going on with me. I didn't realize that's what was going on with me. Maybe I should go talk to someone. It'll normalize things. I think one of the most important things we can do is normalize things like mental health and things like addiction. I just attended tonight. This is um, Martin Luther King Day is when I'm recording this. Tonight I attended a session with Shatterproof, an organization that's very dear to me, and again made a pledge to try to destigmatize addiction. So my point is, again, through connection and through sharing our stories, we can normalize some things that have been stigmatized. One of them is mental health. This guest is awesome. I think you're going to love her. I do. So you'll hear some music and then we'll get right into the interview. Thanks for being here with me. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work, or creating meaningful opportunities inside their workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. This is the first time I'm going to introduce someone as doctor on this podcast, so welcome back this week, everyone. And uh, this guest, you'll want to definitely pay attention to not only because you should pay attention to every guest, but also this person actually does know what they're talking about in the area of viruses, which we all know has been a thing for us for the last year. 
So my guest is Dr. Lisa Cross. She's a full-time scientist and part-time comedian. And our chat will be pretty much part-time science and full-time comedy, maybe. But we'll see. So, uh, Lisa, welcome. And uh, thanks for being on the on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is very exciting. And, um, yeah, I've just been really looking forward to it and really want to tell uh, everyone about what I do. We'll just talk about me, really, basically. Love it. Um, yeah, just yeah, just want to um, talk a bit about science, a lot about comedy. Um, and, yeah, just really looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, so do you want to just anything you want to start off with from your perspective as far as just telling people about maybe a little bit about your background? Okay, so I um, am a medical microbiologist, particularly virology. I have been for, oh, gosh, uh, 20 odd years. Uh, I have worked um, for the government for all that time. I've worked at Public Health England. I developed uh, my job there was to develop tests and assays to detect pathogens quicker. So I've developed tests for like plague. Um, I've measured people's responses to smallpox, just anything microbiological I, I have done. I now don't live in London. I live in the southwest of England. And uh, I, again, work for the government in a marine institution. And I'm no longer actually a bench scientist uh, because, and I always tell people, because <laughs> I used to work on norovirus, which is the virus mm. that um, is spread through feces. Nice. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so that was what my PhD was on, which I really enjoyed. And that's what brought me um, to, to, to CFAS because that particular virus can be spread through eating oysters because people have it in their system and it goes through sewage and it goes out to sea and that's where oysters are. So that's that was the connection there. Um, but I went from 13 years at Public Health England and then went back to CFAS and was still a bench scientist and then it, there was one particular moment that I thought I need to change my career slightly in that mm -hmm. obviously as I said norovirus is spread through feces so you handle a lot of human <laughs> and I was uh I was looking at and it was really interesting the research that I was doing but really hard actually um looking at um how can we tell if norovirus is infectious because like unlike other viruses and I think um SARS-CoV-2 you, you can you can culture but norovirus you can't so you can't you do this PCR test as I think like all of the population now knows like <laughs> they did yeah. 20 years ago like I'll send PCR people are like yay um but you can detect it, but you don't know whether it's infectious. So we were trying to find ways, and people still are, um, of trying to, to, to prove how infectious the virus is. So anyway, to cut a long story short, we were trying to do that with, uh, and this is very niche, um, uh, looking at um, the inside of pig stomachs, pig mucin, because that binds to norovirus. And if it binds, it means the capsid, which is like the the coat of the virus is um, still mm -hmm. intact and therefore the the virus would be infectious so I was there one day in the containment level three laboratory and to do this you had to bind these um, beads that had the inside of pig stomachs to the bit of human excrement and and that took a bit of time and you had to put on this like rotary thing um Mm -hmm. Yep, not very funny, but that was a thing that had to happen. But then that broke one day. So throughout my um, lunch break, I was there with two 
tubes <laughs> doing that for an hour to you know to replicate like the going round. and I thought do you know what I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> I- oh and what Lisa's showing is she's just kind of almost like shaking a small like yeah. a if you could think about like an airplane cocktail bottle yeah. maybe yeah. and just kind of shifting it back and forth like to shake it up maybe yeah. so and you were doing that with human Yes. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, So at the time in my workplace, we were restructuring. um, And then I decided to go into more scientific project management, which I think you're a project Mm. manager too. Is that good? I'm a project manager. Yes. And sometimes I feel like I'm dealing with, you know, crap all day. (laughs) You probably are. (laughs) Um, so yeah for the past few years I still work in a government science institution but I'm a portfolio manager and I manage all our R&D and I have a team of project Mm -hmm. managers and I crucially I am not in a very small room by myself tilting small (laughs) small (laughs) containers of poo Um, and I think I am better at my role that I have now because yeah it took me 20 years to figure this out but I'm quite a chatty person I like um I like communicating with people and I think particularly bench research science can be quite you know solitary It it can be I mean rewarding in so many ways but I prefer the role I have now that I still have an overview of science but I'm not the person in a small room in a lab coat with tiny tubes putting microliters of <laughs> substance into, it, into another tube, I get to communicate, which is something that I love. So, oh, that's awesome. So I like, yeah, I like that you you were able to stay in science, which you love, but then just do it in a totally different way. And it sounds like your job. I mean, when you say you're a bench scientist, that means just like purely like doing lab work at that point. Yeah, okay. just pipetting, pipetting, pipetting um, all the time. And and I think the thing with, with science is I've always loved it, you know, since I was nine. But to be an amazing scientist, you need to publish. And I was just terrible at writing papers. Mm. I can talk, but I can't write <laughs> papers. And without writing papers, you can't – I mean, I've written a few, but you can't proceed – to the upper echelons of, of of science really so I was like mm, this isn't after a while I was like this isn't really working so here we are yeah so then and we're not going to spend the whole time on COVID but <laughs> just a little bit because I <laughs> we're all spending all our time on that anyway but just a little bit so y- when you're looking at something like what's happened this year that's probably made you a little bit more busy I guess uh busy personally because I'm really interested in it interested in it mm-hmm. um but from a sort of work perspective although my organization does uh contribute to, to it because I'm not in public health England anymore I'm not you know on 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 the front line but we're busy in different ways I don't I don't know if you've heard but just uh there's lots of research going into analyzing wastewater i.e sewage effluent to see what's in there and that's really exciting and my organization is doing that and I'm again not involved on the front line but in terms of project management I am so but yeah just busy I've been busy for 10 months reading about it because I've kind of you know mm-hmm. 
fascinated and scared in equal measure, really. So I'm, yeah, busy reading about it constantly. So one thing that would be interesting, at least to me, and I think to other people, is one thing we've heard, and I, I'll see how you react to the statement that you know things have changed so much, and we don't know what to believe now. Like we were told not to wear a mask the in last March, and now we're supposed to, and you know. I personally have been wearing a mask the entire time. I kind of welcomed it in a way. I have rosacea, so it actually made it easier for me to go out. <laughs> go out more efficiently, right? Like I don't have to put on makeup. I just go out and put a mask. But um <laughs> you know, but what just in your experience with researching and researching viruses, why would that happen? Why would for example, and a lot of people who listen to this are from America. So Dr. Fauci, who's become um, you know, at least America's doctor, yes. said you don't need to wear a mask and who said that and now they say you do how does something like that happen i guess it's just always a balancing act isn't it between trying to make people compliant trying to make people not scared uh you know at the beginning you know with with masks and we all know now that wearing one is more about protecting other people than, than mm. yourself uh, you know I think I think that was part of it as well but I mean I sort of sat at home and was very oh my goodness let's just get this message straight I was really frustrated by it I've been wearing uh, a mask for a long time as well uh but yeah I just yeah, I don't know is the is is the answer I mean it's just it just seems crazy it's just been such a mixed message um mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Have you got anything? It varies country to country, too. And st- like in the U.S., it varies state to state, which is weird. But here, it's one. You know, in the U.K., where we both are, it's just like one message, but that changes. But when you when you did research on viruses, I mean, you would be studying the same virus for how many years? And then you would find something new, yeah. right? Like, so it's kind of interesting, like, it's only been a year, so of course new information is going to become available. I mean, right? Yes, absolutely. And like from the time when I did the television program to now, we now know, because uh, there's been more studies, we now know how long it potentially um, lasts on surfaces. And so I was probably, uh, you know, we could probably reduce the times that I was talking about just because there's been, you know, there's been more papers, there's been more studies. Um but in terms of mass, that the and don't get me wrong, I, I I don't fully understand physics, but you know the aerosolation and droplets and the whole mechanics of that hasn't hasn't changed. So mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I, I I don't understand the confusion at the beginning and the continued confusion of that mm-hmm. because that just always remains the same, basically. So regardless of the yeah. pathogen, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the show, so let's talk about a documentary you you were involved with in creating um, How Clean Is Your House? It was on Channel 4 here in the in the UK and um, people can still see it online. It's still online. So it's kind of it's pretty cool to see, actually, especially for people who like to watch uh, like reality TV and people having to do things in their homes. I think a lot of people like to see other people's homes. But I have friends who would clean all their like Amazon packages, clean all their groceries, whatever, every single time up until like very recently. And some never did it at all. But just talk about what you were just saying with the timelines and how clean is your house and maybe just about that project because it was pretty cool to watch. 
So, yeah, I was just really lucky, basically. I, I had um, previously, a, a couple of years prior to that, done a uh, another Channel 4, Channel 4 project called The Great British Germ Hunt. Um, and, and the irony of that was that myself and another scientist and Kate Coulton, we were talking about microbiomes and how, and we still do, by the way, but how we need to embrace bacteria particularly bacteria and how that's good for us and how maybe we're sanitizing our homes too much and mm-hmm. we we spent three days at a festival and analyzed people's microbiomes and sequenced them and saw how much ba- bacterial diversity they had and we know how like your gut microbiome links to your brain it's it's incredibly interesting and so I but I you know spent all that time on one particular program saying yeah get down with your dirt embrace bacteria and now I'm like bleach everything bleach everything kill it um <laughs> so that that was quite funny because it was some of the same crew that had uh, filmed the, the previous program they were like oh oh you're back are you and now what you're going to say and I'm like yeah no disinfect everything <laughs> but you know obviously in a pandemic everything changes and everything that we said in the first show still stands um so yeah so I I had done that and then I was approached uh to do this uh new corona thing and this was in March and we had to turn it around really quickly I mean I don't have much experience of tv but it was like in six weeks from beginning to end which is Mm -hmm. um enormously quick um and it was really challenging because obviously we had to socially distance and we we managed it under you know quite extreme pressure I was gutted because for the first time in my life I was going to get like a hair and makeup artist but then they were like sorry we can't do that I'm like oh god damn it um but yeah no so it was it was a really really interesting project to work on and I, I had so much input into it and yeah I'm really I'm really proud of it basically it 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 was great yeah and do you now like just talking about how timelines change for how long the virus can live on items like cardboard or clothes or whatever do you do you continue in your home to like wipe everything down or yes. do you just uh, yeah. yeah so yeah can absolutely continue to do that you know basically it, and it's such a pain in the butt it really is i i hate it you know i it puts so much time on going to the supermarket or getting a delivery but I have still done that and I think in the I mean my parents are shielding so they still do it but compared mm. to other friends I think particularly in the summer they all thought I was slightly barking mad um but absolutely continue to we have got like a quarantine station in the hall where we put stuff like tins of tomatoes or whatever and and yeah just wash stuff down with just you know soapy soapy water um but now because I got COVID at this particular point in time am Mm. I doing that no um and that is very very free yeah because you had it really recently you had COVID over break over I was to say over break but we were all adults so we don't really get a break (laughs) necessarily yeah (laughs) So, yeah, so not doing that at the moment. But I guess the million dollar question is, when will I, you know, prior to an actual vaccination, when will I stop this interim period of not 
caring about it and thinking, you know, because I don't know how long my antibodies will last. Um, I've got a son who's nine and was in the house with me and my partner over the time that we were sick. And I think my level of hygiene is quite good. You know, we were, I mean, I have to say, like, compared to the to, to the documentary, um, as time went on, I wasn't every time someone used like a remote control getting the ethanol wet wipe and wiping it down or doing the. Mm-hmm. It, we just we just didn't. Do you know what I mean, it, that didn't that didn't right. happen. But then when I realised we were both sick, we upped it again, and like my partner would have the remote control, and then so before my son did it, I would wipe it down. But with all the best will in the world, like over Christmas, we were all in the same house. Um, and mm. I don't think m- my son didn't get infected, but he was definitely asymptomatic. Um, so I think we all had it. I didn't get my son tested because he didn't have symptoms. I didn't want to waste a test, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so, so now we're in this wonderful, wonderful, gosh, you know, that's so 2021, isn't it? I'm in this wonderful period, but I'm not shampooing my groceries. Um, <laughs> God almighty. Um but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know when to to then up it again. You know, I just it's it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I, I really don't know, and it's something. Well, not, I don't worry about it, but I do think. Oh, I don't, I don't know. You know, I I have been so so careful for so long, and I've been saying to everyone like my quarantine ended the beginning of last week. And I was just so excited to then do stuff. I was willing for the first time in 10 months. I just wanted to go to TK Maxx. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> I love that shop so much. I was just going to hang about in there. I was going to pick up shampoos and look at them and buy plant pots. And it was going to be amazing. And then and then I was going to take the three of us to go for a meal somewhere inside, which is not something that we've done for, for uh, 10 weeks. Yeah. And then on the Tuesday morning, I literally text messaged my hairdresser and was like, book me in because I, <laughs> I haven't had a hair appointment in months and months and months and I'm like I'm coming I'm coming and uh yeah and then by the evening uh no you're not doing any of that so for me it's a it's such a weird I've been really nervous about it um and cautious you know as a virologist would be for so long and then I've got this brief mm-hmm. respite of yeah I've got antibodies and bravery and no you can't do anything Lisa you can't you can go for a walk right yeah. <laughs> yeah no and the quarant like the quarantining is so much different than just like doing the stay-at-home order itself where you have to really like i had a quarantine because of possible exposure oh did you to the virus yeah and i don't know it was from the i'm doing the test track and trace app and so yeah. for people who don't know here in the uk we have a an app where you just scan a qr code and check into places you go and it's you know, really helping the government have data, I mean, is the bottom line and, um, you know, informative for them. I mean, it's not really doing much for us unless you get that message on your phone. You have to quarantine for six days. And so I had to do that right before Christmas. And it was a lot different to not be able to walk outside versus being able to go outside and exercise. I mean, that was it was really hard, you know, and so these people have been shielding for months who aren't even allowed outside i just i don't i don't know i i don't know how they're doing it and coping because i think i'm coping because i can walk go for a walk 
you know, so I'm glad you're free. Ish. Absolutely. I mean, I've got members of my family, like I said, my parents have been shielding. I mean, they still um, go for a drive to, you know, say to Exmoor. Well, they can't now, but, you know, over the summer that you know, they would go to Exmoor to go for a walk. I've got a cousin who is um, very highly autoimmune and is on steroids who like properly can't do anything. And my heart just goes out to her, you know, she lives alone. Um, and it just must be just crippling. I can't. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I know it's really hard for her. Um, so my heart goes out to these people so much. It's, it's just so, so hard. And I think, you know, when I know people who have had to endure this for so long, and then I just get so angry when I see people you know flouting rules because I just think oh you know these these people are it's it's hellish but yeah 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 no well I appreciate you sharing all this because I think it it's just helpful to talk to someone who is in science who has been and is continuing to do to follow these guidelines and maybe we all don't agree with 100% of them or understand them all, but it's just kind of like at least we'll be through it at some point. I tell you, I don't think anyone's understanding them. Um, so um, it was towards the end of last year, and it was before I got ill, myself and my colleague and friend, um, we were trying to work out the rules because I think she was worried that her husband had been exposed in a, a, in a hardware store, and then we were trying to work it out. And then literally, so two two medical microbiologists were like, no, I don't know, mate. I don't, actually, I don't know. And she was like, if we don't know... <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, I, don't, I really don't know what you're meant to do now I, I yeah so yeah. it's yeah if we can't work it out then goodness <laughs> so yeah it's really hard the thing we know is you can't go to a rave you most certainly cannot do that no right we know we that, that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my 40s and I don't think oh. they'd let me in anyway um I know yeah. Kind of nice to age out of that stuff, isn't it? And now that both of us, I mean, I haven't done my hair color. I, I added some blue one day for fun, but I haven't done mine in a while. And I'm seeing this gray and I'm like, oh, I really, I'm aging out and I'm not even pretending not to. Yay. Anymore, you know, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've talked through your career and the way we met is really through comedy anyway. and so, yeah, let's talk about comedy and how you got into that yeah. and how that's maybe changed how you looked at your work, too. But So yeah. comedy is the absolute love of my life. It's everything to me. I can see you nodding. <laughs> um, yeah. It's the, the it makes the darkest days brighter, whether that's me doing it or me watching it. I'm an absolute um, super fan. And it's something that I always wanted to do. And I was one of those people that always spoke about it. Like, so, uh, so, so basically I'm absolute textbook um, stand-up comedian, I think um, from what I've read in that I was bullied at school really badly. Didn't have any mm-hmm. friends um, at all. Um, had really low self-esteem, really doubted myself. And that was when I, between the ages of sort of nine and 12, it went on a really long time. And I just fell in love with comedy and just it was my escape. 
And then at school, my, and again, textbook, uh, my way out of being bullied was to be funny. And, you know, so I've always been um, the funny person from, you know, the first or second year of, of comprehensive school. And then that just grew and grew. And yeah, I always, you know, in the pub, I was always the person making jokes. No, you should do stand up. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. And then for 10 years was like, oh, I might go on a stand up because I lived in London on a stand up comedy course. Oh, it's quite a lot of money. I don't know. And then just never got around to it. Just spoke about, bored people to tears about it, but didn't ever do it. And then I had my son in 2011. And then in 2013, I was like, but I'm going to do it. So I signed up for the comedy school in Camden and did a six-week course, and Mm. it was just life-changing. I absolutely loved it, and it was just – I just remember on the, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the first lesson, just that feeling of, like – this is going to sound, like, really – but I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm actually good at this. I – this – Mm-hmm. yeah 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 this is this is me these people and it was so nice to be in a room with so many different types of people but they I'm like oh this is my tribe this oh I get this I love this um and we did it every Sunday morning um sometimes hungover sometimes not and then at the end of it we <laughs> had to do our comedy showcase um and that was that was amazing and that was quite emotional for me also because like a couple of weeks prior to that I just had a miscarriage not to bring them the tone down but you know that's life isn't it and that was really devastating to me and I always remember my comedy school teacher I confided in him that, that you know on the night I was like oh god this happened and I'm heartbroken he said the comedy will set you free and that sounds like such an mm. Instagram meme doesn't it but I was like at that moment I realized yeah it will it totally will and yeah I did the gig was really nervous um and I did it and I still look back on the video now and think you know that was quite good actually and I was like yeah I'm definitely going to do that and I was lucky to live in in London although I had like a two-year-old son and my partner's a firefighter so I couldn't gig as much as I could have done maybe in my my 20s because I couldn't get out of the house but then a lot of people have said well would you have been so good in your 20s because you just have more life experience to to bring to it? So I didn't gig as much as a lot of my friends did. A lot of my friends on the on the scene back in like sort of 2013, 2014 now have been on Mock the Week and I'm like, oh, look, these are people I know. And I'm never, I'm yeah. never going to be that. I'm never going to be a professional comedian, but I'm always going to love it. So yeah, I just, I just did the open mic scene in London, did competitions, did quite well, did like funny women, um, got to like mm. quarterfinals of that. And it was just really validating, really lovely that I have this hobby that makes me meet new people. And uh, yeah, it, yeah it, it's just everything to me. It really is. That's yeah. And it's, I would say that's somewhat that's similar to my story in comedy and I, what I like though, is that you're just kind of, you started to judge yourself a little bit and then realized you had to stop. And that's kind of the comparison thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's in any, in anything. And I almost see that as a theme when you look at your career too, you're like, well, I'm not going to be this kind of scientist. I'm not writing all the papers and stuff. I'm going to get into a, a place in science that's better for me where I'm 
really successful and happy. And then same with comedy. I mean, I think the minute you're not comparing yourself to other comedians, it's better and you can make friends easier too. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like, if you're not jealous of people, you can be friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> Much easier. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. Like, I love it what you're doing. <laughs> then I hate you. I hate you. You're so much better than me. <laughs> so with the comedy um, and that being really important to you, has, has that helped you at all with like your work-life balance? And how does how is having comedy in your life just kind of changed maybe or enhanced it and your relationship with your oh work. definitely helped it definitely helped it and a, a million fold um for so many reasons just more confidence you know I mean you know the classic like if you're doing a presentation or you're chairing a meeting I have more confidence in doing that not all the time I still you know <laughs> really don't like chairing meetings it's really hard um but yeah just have just having more confidence um and I would also say, I was saying to someone the other day, you know, when you go on like a work um, training course and we're, you're all sat there and there's people that you don't know and then you have to pair up with someone that you don't know. And then it's an absolute classic, isn't it? They go, OK, chat to each other for five minutes, write stuff down and then find out two or three things about this person that nobody would know. I'm like that, rubbing my hands. Bring it on. I'm going to say I'm a stand-up comedian. No one's going to like, and I just absolutely love it. And um, so that's, it, you know, it, it's worth its work and gold just to be able to go on training courses and then go, I'm a stand-up comedian. And then everyone go, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Love that. Uh <laughs> It's all the one I have to go with colleagues that know me because they so know that's coming. And I'm just in the front and they're like, oh, Jesus, she's got it. And there she's just said it. There she is. And she's smiling and yep, she's loving it. Is. All right. OK, crossy. Um, but yeah, no, just just more confidence, really, I think. Definitely. Uh, confidence coming from standing on a stage and talking and and um, really putting yourself out there. And, you know, sometimes in my comedy, I talk about personal really personal stuff sometimes I don't um but that can only be a positive thing and translate into your into your work where you have to interact with people and particularly in project management you know my job now as we said famously is not you know uh (laughs) two trees of poo in my hand but I have to communicate with people and I have to lead I have to be a strong leader I have to do a lot of things and stand-up comedy absolutely aids that definitely definitely it, and it is funny because it's kind of like that whole thing like vegans always say they're vegan and I feel like comedians joke about that but then always say they're comedians yeah. you know lovely yeah that is completely and utterly true I will add another one into that mix people that go yeah. wild swimming in winter they will always tell everyone that they go wild swimming in the sea in winter that's just yes, yes. it's the trio that's true I yeah, and in the last season, I had um, Carrie Ann Payne on, who does open. She brought open water swimming to the UK in a way because she was a silver medalist. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, uh, in the Olympics for that. But um, I'd say, like, even the first time I met her, I I met her in person at one point, and the first time I met her, I think that was one of the first things I heard. So you're right. Yeah, and I think it's great, but it's just. Yeah, we all have these things we want to make sure people know about us. Yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Within yeah, knowing me for ten minutes, you will know that I do stand up for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
how I'm just curious now. And uh, how do you handle the question or the request? Tell me some, tell me a joke. Do you have like one you just, yeah, cause I, I don't know if people say I do. Too, and the thing is everyone thinks it's crap, but I love it. And it's really not very good, but now it's, be- it's become such a staple joke that I do. And it's kind of pun based, it's pun based basically. And um, yeah, I, I just do that. And it involves a bit of singing. Uh, so it makes everyone super mm-hmm. awkward. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I just do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get one in my holster. I have my friends, kids will, will be like, Say something funny, and then the oh, and then God. they know I'll say what well, I'm the kids jokes, and then they'll be like, "You got to write some kids jokes." Like they're requesting that, you know. Because I go, I've tried to clean up, and I don't. I'm not that bad. I don't think you are either, really, with like being that blue. But it's just that it's not stuff kids get yeah. either. So it's funny to try to turn your jokes into kids jokes. I think it's really well. Um, on that theme, I I mean, obviously we didn't this year, but I. Uh, do stand-up comedy at the Dorchester Beer and Cider Festival here in uh, Dorset. Big up <laughs> the Cider Festival. And there's a comedy tent. And as I said, my partner's a, is, is a firefighter, so he's often away. So childcare is always a pain in the ass. Um, and I was doing that one year, and it's it's in the afternoon, and there's big signs saying, you know, do not bring your children in here. There will be, you know, swearing, etc. So my son, I think, was about mm-hmm. seven at the time and then my friend was looking after him and I was like I've just got to go on now and I thought she was taking him away so I started my set and not not terrible but I do a joke about getting my boobs stuck behind a radiator Uh, (laughs) Uh, and then he heard that and then he has just spoken about that so much that we would get taxis um, around town and then just out of nowhere he would go do you you know my mum she's a stand-up comedian and once she got her boobs stuck by the radio and I was like oh how did this happen um uh, that's really weird you're gonna think I'm insane and also he bless him I think he's got the bug a little bit too so he's like nine and a half now he'll be 10 in a couple of months and he writes little jokes and he says if I you know if I get a paid gig, which we know is few and far between and, and, and not yeah. a lot of money. But he was like, if you say my joke, will you give me a pound? So he's like written these really quite cute little jokes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really I'm really proud of him. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so great. And, yeah, it's like he, he just he's good at just distilling the joke down to its exact thing. <laughs> just, that's awesome. So one thing that. I thought was interesting too is something that um, on this podcast, we've talked to about mental health Mm -hmm. a bit, but more on the depression anxiety side, but not something that you are open to talking about, which is pure OCD, which is not the OCD we think of, or even people joke about, but it's a, it's a different kind. So can you just talk a little bit about that and just, yeah, of course. Um, So yeah, so this is quite a big thing for me because I have never, spoken about it publicly before I've never spoken about it in my stand-up um it's I mean those people that are closest to me know that I have it but yes but I just thought no I I need to speak about it so basically since I was nine or ten I had just normal normal common garden OCD you know that (laughs) all if I don't turn the light switch on and off then my mum will die um mm-hmm. and I had that 
and for many, many years. Um, and that involved rituals, you know, obsessions and compulsions and rituals of turning light switches on and off and tapping things. And that got to be slightly unbearable when the the, tie, the trigger that made me go for treatment was I was part of the diagnostic response for swine flu, influenza, H1N1, in... 2009 I think and then we were because I worked at public health England then and then we had to we were on pages um, and mobile phones and we had to come into the lab at like two in the morning and then sequence the the viruses that were coming and you were by yourself and it was really stressful and I like my OCD just went absolutely mental because of the stress and I was like "Mm, I can't do this anymore so I went to see my GP And she was like, you definitely have OCD. And then I had, um, well, because it was NHS, there was, you know, I had to wait a couple of months, but I then got treatment and I had cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT. Um, And the point I want to make is, oh, my goodness, that worked. It worked. I I had this Mm -hmm. thing in my head thinking that I was kind of crazy insane since I was nine or ten. And then you went to the doctors and then you spoke to a therapist and then with work, and it does take work, um, it went away. And I was like, well, I've I've beaten that. Brilliant. And everyone said, like, when you're pregnant, it could come back again. And I was very careful not to go into the same thought processes as I as I did before and I was fine and I was like I have absolutely nailed this um or what a star mm-hmm. I am and then we came to the pandemic and then uh I was having talking therapy privately anyway because I think that's a really healthy thing to do I didn't have a specific mm-hmm. issue um and just sort of anxiety really not not depression but anxiety but that's something that I chose to do for me um and then she was like you've got OCD and I was like really I didn't really and then we (laughs) really um and because I didn't see it coming because it was pure OCD and some people don't like that term but basically I did not realize that my thoughts about COVID and everybody I know and love dying was OCD because I just thought I'm just stressed about it because I wasn't doing the tapping I wasn't doing the you know lining stuff up and I would just like to say at this point that OCD is not you know and it it can involve cleanliness but that's not you know everyone thinks oh OCD or you need things to be neat and tidy Christ not seen my my mandrel um (laughs) It's, it, it, it's not it's not that so I just I just didn't see it coming but so with pure OCD um you don't you don't have um the, the rituals where you you know you you touch stuff it's just in your mind and you just have these horrific I mean I really can't state this enough horrific um visions and intrusive thoughts of the for me and it can it can be loads of different things for me it was you know the people that I love dying and I would see them in my mind dead or at the bottom of a cliff or you know for other people it can be different things it can be religious it can be sexual based it can be um lots of different things but yeah I just did I just didn't see it coming because I just didn't I didn't equate it but then I was doing avoidance in my head to mm. not um have these thoughts so for me with with COVID it was like well I can't go outside because I don't want the people that I love to die, which, you know, fair play is a, is a 
Right. Um, but I was lucky enough to have the therapy in place um, beforehand, and she really helped me through it. And it and it is hard. Like so, I had to over the course of the summer do a. You have to like it's called exposure prevention therapy or something. And um, anyway, um, it begins with E, and there's three letters. There's an acronym. Um, and you have to um, list the things that you're most scared of and, and give them a grade. And then you have to go and do that thing. Um, and that was really, really hard. So for me, it was things like go in the summer. It was things like go into the bank and deposit a check, go to your local beach um, or go to a busier a busier place. And for me, I'm really scared of heights as well. But it was, you know, things like go to that place with a cliff with loads of people um, or go inside. And and it's really, it's been really hard. And my therapist has acknowledged it um, in terms of COVID and OCD, because where does just general, um, well, that's just sensible not to go into a busy place, um, Hmm. stop and, and start, or this is over the top because this is your OCD. And that's been really, really hard to find a balance between the two. Because, you know, mm-hmm. before when it was just like, if I don't touch this light switch, my mum's going to die. It was like, well, OK, well, don't do it. And then let's work through that. And your mum's not going to die. But it's right. a very, yeah, so that it, it's been the hardest thing in my life, to be honest with you. And I'm really proud that I've got out the other end of it. Um, yeah. But just so, so hard. So, so hard because the, there is, a you know, and I think. The thing with OCD is um, there's you're never going to eliminate risk and your brain is always like there's risk here. But, you know, life is inherently, you know, there's risk in everything, but it's just not overreacting to it. So, yeah, it's just hard. But there's <laughs> where there's a pandemic and you're a virologist and you've made a TV program yeah. about it. It's just, ah. But, yeah, I just I would just want to tell people that you you can get it feels impossible to get through it feels like an absolute barrier but you you can you can beat it for sure well thank you and thank you for opening up about that because and i'm i'm a person who i would say is sometimes an overshare maybe and and i'll say something to someone and then feel like maybe later like oh should i have told them all that or whatever but i'll tell you right now just in case that happens it will will. i can i can tell you that's definitely in the post (laughs) Okay. And you definitely just have to know that someone will listen to this and I'll let you know when they let me know and it'll, it'll impact them and it'll help them feel okay. Because I can even tell you like with cognitive behavioral therapy, I a hundred percent agree with it and swear by it. It's been something that I've employed as a tool. Um, the, the part of it where you, and this might've been what you did before, where you like have your thought that kind of keeps that triggers you, right. That recurs and you have to write down all the things, the reasons that it would be true and all the reasons that it would yes. not be true and then come up with the thought that's more rational. And that's been a thing. I mean, I still do that. I do, don't do it on paper anymore or very mm-hmm. often, but I completely know and understand. Um, yeah. So thank you, because I think, too, that this time, I mean, since March or before for some people, people who never understood or experienced any sort of mental illness or mental health issue experience yeah and for sure 
you know, and it, and the people who were able to talk about their experience before, I think really helped them because it was their first time, you know? And yeah. So, well, I'm glad that you were able to get help and work through it. And yeah, it is important to have a therapist kind of on, I have mine. I have one that I talk to monthly just because too. Yeah. Cause it's like something will come Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Do you know what? And my, and I think the stigma is getting less so, but I remember speaking to a friend as the, a couple summers ago and she said you know if you're not everyone's able to afford private therapy and you know Mm -hmm. and I I get that but if you're privileged enough to be in a position to do that you know you would spend x amount to you know go to a spa or go out with your friends or whatever why would you not or you know for me the many streaming channels I have (laughs) I I mean, it's insane, but we won't go into that. Um, But why would you not just invest that money in yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, people will invest it in nights out. (laughs) Whatever that was, I don't really remember anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we can't now. I know now, now there's more money for therapy because you can't go out. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I guess overall then um, do you think that for you and just in, in your field and what you've worked in, and it's very hard. I mean, I think being a scientist and and getting to that level that you're at is really tough. Um, Do you think without comedy or some other hobby that you would be as happy in your career? Or do you think that it's helped you overall just to have something else that you do? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that stands true to anyone in any profession, really. Mm-hmm. It's just and and I and I do count myself as lucky because, you know, I like doing other things. I draw not to you know, not to any great shapes. Mm-hmm. It would never be put up anywhere. I like singing, did it I did enter the X Factor. Um I did. It took, <laughs> I don't like the of it. I mean, uh, yeah, so um I was just watching The Masked Singer earlier with my son. In 2006, I entered The X Factor and I got through two auditions. um, And then I got to see the judges and it was Sharon, Louis and Simon. And Louis said I had a good image. Sharon said I seemed like a really nice person. Simon said, if you weren't a medical microbiologist, I wouldn't remember you. And then... I sang and then they all said no and I said do you want a second song and they all said no um so yeah so I like (laughs) I like singing sorry I mean I would say a dream is just to be insulted by Simon Cowell in a way which probably shows that I need to stay in therapy but yeah like (laughs) you said monthly I book a couple in next week mate um yeah yeah so (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've, I've done that as well. Um, and all of these things make me happy. And all, all of these things, were particularly like comedy and singing, come with an enormous amount of rejection. Um, mm-hmm. But that kind of makes you a better person as well, doesn't it, I think? Like just, I think yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all had the applying to do a gig or whatever, and no, 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 thank you, you know, sending a clip in, no, thank you, we don't want you. Um and, you know, obviously three no's in the X Factor. Um, I also did Britain's Got Talent, but that's a, that's a different thing. Um, oh, wow. Um, I did that for comedy, and I got through, like, two rounds uh, in that as well. And then I was so nervous as I was leaving the room in which I auditioned in. I couldn't open the door because um, it was, like, pull and it was push. And, and they were like, oh, my God, it's an absolute car crash. Um, 
these are the things that open. Um, yeah, so yeah, these these are the things that 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 make me like. And even though I'm not a bench scientist anymore, I always identify as a scientist, and I think that's my. If you were like to to chop me down the middle, like a you know a stick of rock, it would say scientist. But like all these other things, and me too, and it's what makes me, and it's what makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I love that you tried out for those things. Um, cause that takes a lot of guts. I mean, you know, oh, oh, I don't foolish. know how they, <laughs> well, I don't even know how they put together the reels of like the outtakes of people too. But I, I always think like, Oh, what if you audition and you end up on the, the episode where they just make fun of you? And it's like, well, oh, I hear God. they take like the top 10% of people that can actually sing. And then, and then I don't think this is a nice thing. I think this is horrible. Like the the ten percent yeah. of you know the more sort of comedy um, aspects. So I'm hoping I was in the top ten percent. But the I was just suddenly thinking. Um, so I did Britain's Got Talent twice, and then the second time uh, I was at work and I was a bench scientist, and I had a new student, and I was teaching her how to do um, hybridization. Um, and it was at like an eight hour procedure and it was really long. And then I'd looked on the computer and then randomly Britain's Got Talent were auditioning in Weymouth where I live. So oh. I was like, well, dear God, I need to do this. I didn't know this was happening. So and she'd only, she'd only been working there for a week. I was like, yeah, no, this is quite important. But if you could just keep doing this, I'm going to go for an hour and a half and I had to ask my boss I was like I know like flexi time was still in core hours so um do I need to take mm-hmm. annual leave and he and he just looked at me and he went oh why Lisa and I went I just want to nip out and do a Britain's Got Talent um audition and he literally put his head <laughs> on the desk and he was like Jesus Christ I mean you don't get scientists saying that very often do you no. like, Jesus, Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ and I was like can we just sort out the hours later she's in the lab there are some chemicals and viruses, but I think it will be all right. And he was like, oh, my, actually, <laughs> so I literally disappeared for an hour and a half and then came back again. And then, bless her, she was like, you're my hero. That was amazing. <laughs> so I inspired her <laughs> not to do really well, oh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that is inspiring because it's so it's almost it's ridiculous. But then great. Also, actually, right? I mean, honestly, we were just I mean, um, the hybridization we were doing is so involved, so many chemicals, so much stuff. And there literally there was viruses. And I just, it just shows you my work-life balance. How do I feel? And, and also why I'm not a bench scientist anymore. I was like, right, down tools. And literally just ran out the door. I, had no, I didn't even have a set prepared, you know. I was like, well, I've got to do this. Um, yeah, that, yeah, basically that sums me up in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to cover? No, I think, I think that's all good. Yeah. I think we did great. Yes. Um, yeah, we got every acronym yeah. basically every three letter yeah. acronym handled. Right. So we're good. Um, is there any advice or like a mantra that you use that you just want to share with people or maybe even the best advice you got at any point? Yeah, dream big. It's not insurmountable. You can you can do it just because it seems um, crazy and large and that doesn't happen to people. It, it can happen. And just have confidence in yourself, even if at your lowest ebb, it doesn't, you know, like when I was bullied, 
I felt like nobody liked me and I was rubbish. Um, but that's not true. And you can, you can go for your goals and you can succeed. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, I have a series of questions called the fun five and they're just a, a way to get to know a few more things about you. Uh, so the first one is really based around what I've said is based around me trying to justify what I keep in my wardrobe, but what's like the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Ah, what's the oldest t-shirt I have and still wear? Oh, this is really soppy. It's a London Fire Brigade one from my partner. Oh. <laughs> I wish I would be able to say something like, you know, oh, goodness, it's one with Rosalind Franklin on and just like Chris, <laughs> DNA Christology is ace, you know, or something like that. Real feminist thing. But, yeah, no, it's a London Fire Brigade mm-hmm. T-shirt. Amazing. All right. <laughs> That's good. Um, so – if every day was really like Groundhog's Day, which people have been saying for a mm-hmm. while now, what song would you have playing on your alarm clock every Black morning? Velvet. So Bill Murray. Oh, you got it. Sorry. Say Black it again. Because I talked. To... All right. Black Velvet. A lot of miles. That was a good. That was good. Nice. All right. Coffee or tea or neither? Both. Um, coffee. I'm not a big caffeine drinker, but definitely coffee in the morning. Um, tea on a cold, wintry afternoon with a nice biscuit. Nice. Watching Sounds home. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can you think of a time that you laughed so hard you cried or just couldn't stop or maybe something that gets you into that space? Um. I want to say, as a comic, I want to say something really profound, like, you know, Bill Hicks' second set in Idaho in 19... Jeffy Jeff. Um, but people falling over. <laughs> <I do. laughs> You're the second person this season who will say that. Yes. But I'm such a comedy geek, as we've established, and I, you know, my favourite comic is Tig Notaro. I love everything she says. I love her delivery. It's amazing. But there is nothing funnier than someone falling over. <laughs> you have a favourite? So I have a favourite video called Grape Lady Falls, and I'll send it oh, to please. you. Oh, please. Yes. I will. Yeah, I've already shared it with someone else this week. But do you have a favourite video of that? Do I have a favourite video? Um of people falling over such a terrible question <laughs> That's right. like, we started so like what like 10 minutes ago we were really like elevated and now we brought it to this or i have um, anyway. i really like oh my god anything from you know and this is an english comic who's now i like norman wisdom um i like okay. some mothers do have them with um Oh, my God, I can't remember his name. Um, but that particular, like, 1970s, 1980s, um, you know, Frank Spencer. Yeah. So, th- yeah, things like that I, I, okay. I just I just find really funny. Um, and I once cool. – um, and I found it, after, you know, time plus tragedy equals comedy, doesn't it? I used to live in North London, like I said. And then I was out walking one day in autumn and and leaves when they're wet can be really bloody slippery. And I was walking and then I saw Noel Fielding, who's another comedy hero of mine, um, across the road. And then I slipped and fell on the leaves in front of him. 
I mean, if I'd have seen that, I would have laughed my ass off. Um, but yeah, so that that if I had in my mind when I fell over on the slippy leaves in front of Mel Fielding. Was that one of those where you just landed right in New York? Yeah. Or your yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, I did that in New York um, several times okay. when I lived there on ice. Yeah, fun. <laughs> cool. All right. And um, who, the last one, who inspires you right now? Um, who inspires me right now? Um, my, a lot of people, mostly women, uh, my mum, Maggie Fielding, um, who is my absolute hero. Um, she was the lady who presented Tomorrow's World, which was a science program back in the 80s and, and in the 90s. Um, and in in terms of everything that I wanted to do in terms of science and being on television, she was my absolute inspiration. And I got to be on Tomorrow's World in a little video clip the other year. And it was amazing. And I made the remark then that back in the 80s and the 90s, I would watch this program every week. And then there was her and Judith Han, and then there was other um, male presenters and they were just bringing like tech and science into my house and it just never occurred to me that as a girl that that wouldn't be a thing that I could do you know I it it just made it totally accessible so yeah I yeah my mum and Maggie Philbin nice that's awesome okay and then is there anything specific you want people to look up after they listen to this and promote about yourself? Um, that's a good noise on a podcast. Um, <laughs> that's great. I don't have to add it, you know? Um, just my Twitter. I, I'd like more followers. It's Lisa underscore Dr. X. Um, I post about science on there and jokes. Um, don't Google Lisa Cross, because if you do, there's a female weightlifter um, who doesn't wear many clothes and does um, adult movies, I think, um, which is fine. Um, but crucially, it's not me. So when you do Google Lisa Cross, please know that that's not me. Uh, <laughs> I don't have very developed biceps. Um, so yeah, just yeah, just my Twitter, just my Twitter handle. That would be great to hear what I have to say. Because sometimes you know, awesome. it's it's fifty percent sensible science. It's fifty percent, you know, ridiculous nonsense that comes to my head that I want other people to laugh at to like me. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Lisa, thanks so much. It was great just getting to know you better, sure. and also just having this conversation. Thank you. Really Thank appreciate you for it. Me. It's been nice. Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Medke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at RabiaSaid.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, 
While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. 